believe in evil? As an idea. Do you believe in the power of darkness? That's a superstition. Now there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why, on one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death. My God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes, eyes, once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil Rides Out, from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's famous novel, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. All your feet quickly! Back to back! Join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face. Transmission will start in five seconds from now. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Waffle On Podcast. My name is Simon Meddings. And I'm Mark C. Kelly. And uh, on this episode, Kel, what are we talking about? Talking about one of my all-time favourite horror films in The Devil Rides Act. Well, first of all, let's give the audience uh, some news of what we, what our beverage is today. Last episode, of course, it was your excellent margarita. Uh, and uh, this week, what have we got today? We have got, basically, it's a margarita beer. <laughs> <laughs> I can see there's a, there's a thing. Yeah, it's more yeah. of a, don't you think it's more of a mojito beer? I oh, know, it's just nice. Really? It is nice. Uh, it's a Desperado Verde. Uh, is it Verde? Uh, lime mint killer. Chin chin. Hey, have a slurp. 
I'm not going to do a burr. That, yeah. That's a bit too informal. <laughs> Maybe a few years ago, we started like that. Now, yeah, so we're doing the Devil Rides Day. But before we carry on, I had an email, because obviously we're working our month in advance. Mm. Um, of course, we had an email from Rob Kay. I forgot to read it out in the last episode, and he sent me an email rather upset <laughs> that we hadn't read his email out. So I do apologise, Rob, but waffles... Waffly people, uh, waffle listeners, I know you do like a good bit of Rob K, so he's the latest. And, and with that podcast, we were drinking quite strong tequilas. Well, I must admit, I was safe to drive. I wasn't thinking I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, those people who don't know who Rob K is, uh, Rob K is our regular correspondent of all things mad. We don't want to spend sure if he's uh, totally <laughs> yeah, sane, but I've got a treat for you in a minute. Which oh. I'm so there you go. Hello, waffles. How are you? And the mad dog face when sounds like the penguins. Sorry as I didn't emails after Christmas. I ended up in hospital as I got a matchmaker stuck in my trout again. <laughs> <laughs> but then I fell down the stairs when I was trying to get it out and broken my ankle and toes. So I've not had a good start to 2015's waffles. I buy the Gypsy ex-girlfriend a book about horses for Christmas. The Gypsy. <laughs> As she likes horses, and her gypsy dad does the pony trap races. <laughs> I spends a long time picking it from the bookshop. She didn't get me anything. And then after Christmas, she posts the book back to me with no vote. She has a new boyfriend, and I think he not likes me. Liking her waffles. Oh dear. Did you enjoy Christmas television? <laughs> Mum watches Miranda, and it's the worst thing my eyes have ever seen. It was so <laughs> you bad. You say that though, but yeah, you're yeah, right. You're right, yeah. It's just a falling over and a bra coming up. <laughs> Uh, it was so bad I gives it one star waffles I went out in the car with Goosey as he takes me to cheer me up <laughs> we goes to Laser Quest but I can't walk or run so I just hides in a corner and tells to shoot people I am good at hiding waffles it's one of my skills and I am good at it on the way back Goosey hits a seagull with his car he flew into the window and it was scary waffles he made a horrible noise it was a noise like <laughs> then it was dead I was sad I felt bad for the seagull. I like animals, Waffles. I like animals all. I like to walk my dog next to the farms and I stroke the horses and the cows, Waffles. On the podcast, you said I think I is 45. I am 28, Waffles. And I have tried to attack some photos for you of me. There is one of them where I am with my brother Colin, who has spiky hair and flowery shirt, and Goosey, who is in the red top. They takes me out and tries to cheer me up. I was the one in the middle. The one, the one was from last summer, and I went to Scotland with the ex-girlfriend. She said she likes to travel and see new places, so I takes her to Scotland, and we stops in a caravan. It was romantic, I think, waffles. <laughs> but she not like me now, because me not a gypsy. <laughs> she, she took the photo. She knows I like monkeys. That is my favourite waffle. So she takes a photo of me with the monkey in the caravan park. Happy New Year, waffles. Hope your 2015 and mad dog penguin face. Why have, I, why, why have I changed you with pinging face with it? So I do have a picture of Rob K for you. Let's have a look. There he is. That's the one in the middle. And there he is with a monkey. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look like they're having a good time. Yeah, that, that top photo is definitely having a good time there. Especially his brother Colin, who, <laughs> who I suspect looks a lot about the same age as us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goosey, on the other hand. Goosey's definitely up for it, isn't he? Goosey, Goosey looks like the kind of lad who would happily kill seagulls. Yeah. You uh, took a picture, and on the way they're looking quite sweaty, and yeah. one of them's looking very really wide-eyed there, isn't he? <laughs> Looks like they've been having a good time that night. Uh, there we are beer there, though, Cal. 
I don't know what beer that is though. Is it Bex? It's not Bex here. But I do see what you mean. They're looking. Uh, he looks like been out. He been looks, out for a while. He looks like he's been helped uh, for a good twenty-four hours. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Goosey just looks like he likes a beer, and Rob K. Ah, oh, it's amazing. He is amazing, isn't he? He looks like a person who would have a good time, but we're not. Where, where's he leave? I don't know. And I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't. I don't want Bob. Cook. The bottom one. There you go. That's Rob K with a monkey. That's really good. He's really good. So Rob. Thank you for sending the pictures of you. It's not yeah, exactly yeah. what we thought you looked like. Although no, the bottom yeah. picture does look like you are in a straight jacket. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's lovely to hear from you. And mm. uh, if you give us permission, Bob, uh, I won't. I'm not. I, I never post photographs of people unless they give us permission. If you give us permission, I will post a picture of you on uh, our Facebook page, but only if you say so. It's only fair. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are quite interested in. Uh... Well, they think they think Bob K is me and you writing something. Well, and honestly, I wish <laughs> I, I get paid to write. I write for a living. I can't come up with this shit. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, before we get, uh, crack on to the, uh, the podcast, um, sad news. Um, obviously, we're a month in advance at the moment. Uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, it was. Um, I think that's. I think we've talked about this before now. This son of us getting older, where all our heroes are dying. I know. It's a really sad. worrying thing. But I think that was the first one where I, I bloody hell, it was so symbolic of my childhood. Hmm. I know we've said this about Rick Mao, but Rick Mao was when I was older. I got into Rick yeah. Mao stuff when it was like 14, 15. Star Trek I was watching from six or seven. Yeah. And everyone loved, everyone loved him, didn't they? And, you know, especially, the, you know, it's Shatner oh. and Nimoy, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that is, the, you know, two of the first TV characters I really, really loved. Mm. I thought there was some awful stuff about it with people having to go at Shatner, though, for not going to the funeral. Oh, well, that, that just pricks. I, he's a professional, <laughs> and he's not, nearly 90. He's not, you can't just jump on a plane. I mean, look, the guy was best friends with him at the end of the day. They fell out for a bit, didn't they? No, well, no, no, no. I'll lend you, I've got his book. It's a CD, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, called, um, oh, what is it? I can't remember what it's called. But it's really good. It is a really good, it's tongue-in-cheek. But he's very truthful about it. Yeah. He tells her that he was a bit of an arsehole. But he said he never got on very well with Leonard Nimoy to start off with during Trek. We actually became friend, firm friends um, when they did the film. Uh, because right. they, they got on well and uh, but what it was was because Lenin Nimoy was an alcoholic in the, during Star Trek and, oh, no, I didn't and know so, that. yeah he was, a, he was quite a bad alcoholic and he just he was able to give up alcohol but when Shatner's wife who was found dead in the swimming pool he got some bad press that people was accusing him of murder I mean you know what you wouldn't would you but um, it was because she was an alcoholic and, and Lenin Nimoy tried to help Shatner because William Shatner thought that he could sort his wife <laughs> yeah. out just by mm. doing the, all the best intentions but no, they became really good, really good friends. Um, so he was obviously gutted if, you know, his best friend just died. But he had a commitment to, if it was a commitment to a TV show, he probably could go out of it. But the fact, you got two magpies in your garden. Oh, yeah. That's good. Um, but the fact that it was a charitable event in which tickets were sold because he was going to be there. He has a commitment for that charity. Lennon Nimoy wouldn't, wouldn't want him to cancel on, you know, a, a, a good foundation. So oh, I think it's pretty justified. He sent his daughters volunteer to go in his place, which I thought was nice of them yeah, to yeah. represent him. Shatner's just got a lot of haters, though, hasn't he? And I think that's I think, the thing, yeah, you know? I think it's I think it's wrong, really. Yeah, he's got a bit of an ego, but you know what? Who hasn't in Hollywood? It's William Shatner. <laughs> Who wouldn't have an ego if you're William Shatner? If you're Captain Kurt, TJ Hooker. Yeah, some of the most iconic roles of all time. Would, would you like to know something? Go on, man. I went, I went looking to buy TJ Hooker the other day. There's only four seasons. Oh, man. Would I watch it? Mainly you'd be watching it to look for the girdle. 
and look for his wig. And the that wig. that is all you'd be watching for because yeah. they had an amazing wig in that, didn't they? Oh, it was it's huge. Bufant, weren't it? It was a Buffon. He was like uh, what's his name? The one who was in the Spiders, Tony Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit. Did you know uh, Walter Caning as well? I was watching um, Undiscovered uh, Country. It was I, I like that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I really like that one. My God, that wig he's wearing that because he's proper bald. He's yeah. a proper bald head, Walter Caning. So how long has he been wearing a wig? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's proper bald. And when you look at it, you can tell that that hair. Yeah, yeah. Not I really like that film, though. The main, I think the best thing about that film is you get to see other parts of the ship that you've never saw before. Yeah, and Chris Plummer, isn't it? As well? Yeah, I just love all that. Chris Plummer, who was the one who helped William Shatner get started in um, his career. Bloody hell! Full of information, though. Full of yeah. Star Trek is just yeah. yeah. Uh, well, oh yeah. Um, oh no, this was important. What was I going to say? Uh, something started. This was something on TV this week. I don't know. Oh, I can't remember now. That's the only trouble with thinking that with a month in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite <laughs> I thought about it earlier, but hey ho. So, yeah, we're talking about The Devil Rider, so let's have the boring stuff first. Um, it was written by Richard Matt. I've got to stop doing that because I noticed when I edited the Zulu episode the other day, uh, I could hear myself rubbing my hands together. <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad if I've got really yeah, soft hands. As long as you're not starting to cackle with it. <laughs> <laughs> we should do that, <laughs> Um This was written by Richard Matheson, and of course, it's based on the novel The Devil Rides Out by Dennis Wheatley. Before we go into that, Kelly, have you read that? Book? I've read Dennis Wheatley's novel. I read it when I was a kid because I went through a stage where I was like 15 when I read all stuff like that. It, you, you, you know. It's a really weird thing because there's a lot of people who, who love the book, hate the film, isn't there? Yeah. And to me, the film's superior. Mm. I don't care what people say. I want, you know, it's everyone's opinion, but generally they're wrong. <laughs> that I think it, it, it's sharper, mm. the dialogue's better, mm. and it, I think the ending's better. Oh, really? Yeah, you know what I mean? I said, you, know, you read the original book, and it's all to do with... Europe and about the Nazis and stuff like them trying to find the, the ancient penis and all <laughs> stuff like that in it. That's all great, but it, on the screen it looked ridiculous. <coughs> well, right? Wasn't he right in the forties or something? Yeah, it was just a different time, and I think they give it to yeah, they give it to Matterson, but you know, because he's an amazing writer. One, mm. Right, I am legend, my all-time favorite book, and he, he made it more real, even though he's set in periods. What did you think of that film then? The I Am Legend. I love it. I love it. I like it, you know. I do like it. Like I said, uh, the three the three films made of that they're all different, and so they're is, all. But isn't Iron Legend to be made? Them isn't that the Amiga Man though? You've got three films. You've got um, Amiga Man, but that's not the first one. The first one is um, I am, which is I can't think of the name of it now. But it's got uh, Vincent Price, and it's it's in the fifties. It's a really good film. So these are all written by Richard Matheson. All written by Richard Matheson. Oh, okay. he, he, because he the only one he didn't do he had bits to do with I Am Legend. But he had a falling out with the producers because he hated the way the ending went. Yeah, because the ending... I don't mind the Will Smith when he kills himself. I quite like that bit. I've only seen it in the cinema and I can't... Yeah, well, he sort of comes out. But then then there's like a community in the country and that. What's in his dog bark or something? The the dog is... In the novel, it's really, really important. It's the main other character. He's the dog. He's him and the dog trying to befriend the dog. And that was taken out of... Amiga Man. Mm. I love Amiga Man with Charlton Heston. It's a super cool film. It's just Charlton Heston, isn't it? But it, it's you know, it's super cool. But it's you know, it's Apart not from his gun policy. But you know, oh, Chuck it, Heston is just Chuck Heston. You know? I love Chuck Heston Lang- films, man. It's like Burt Lancaster. You know, Burt Lancaster did a film. Can't remember what it was. And he he, he did this take. It was a Shatner film. Thinking about it, right. and um, he did this take, and he came back, and overnight, so he found the director and said, I, I, "I need to do that again. I'm not happy with it." And he turned up, did it, did it exactly the same, exactly yeah. like, no, I'm happy with that. And we're not. Bloody hell. It's just exactly the same take, because it's like, 
See slickers. You see it's not see slickers. What's the one with Kurt Douglas where they play two old men? Oh, oh uh, tough guys. Man, I love that film. Oh, I like that film. I really that. like it. We should do that. No one. I don't know anyone who's done that as a podcast. I'll tell you what. I can't for the last time I saw it. I've only seen it once. That was with you and me, Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that was Kurt Douglas when he was last. Had, like he was sort of energetic <laughs> and stuff. He was quite. He was quite old. Yeah, but he was quite old when he was doing that, weren't he? Yeah. You know, all them actors: Burt Lancaster, Robert Mitchum. Man, they're never oh, going to be beat. And they're all going away now. They're all going away. We've well, talked Kurt, about Kurt Douglas still alive, but I mean, he's, he's, oh, he's pretty... I, I can't for the last time I ever saw the picture of him. He's got to be 90. He had a stroke, didn't he? He's got to be 90, I know, because his son's 70, you know? Yeah. Didn't Kev have uh, him on the... Oh, he had him on the Deadpool, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's still... <laughs> yeah, so you were saying about... Um, oh, yeah. Captain. With the novel. The novel's a great novel. And, and, you know, and the interesting thing is that people always think that Dennis Wheatley didn't like the film hmm. it's crap he sent them a letter after he went to the film saying how much he loved it because yeah. even he knew that book was wrote for its time and Dennis Wheatley they're all going to kill me now Dennis Wheatley fans he's a bit hokey yeah he is a bit hokey you well, know they changed it's the... rich people in cults yeah, well, that's why they, they changed the covers of the books in they later on because people weren't buying them because of how hokey the, bo- oh, he, the, 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 the book you know it's just a bunch of privileged people basically give them a reason to have orgies because oh, it's like the Conservative Party. <laughs> Very much so. Because there's a bit in it, and you know. Alienated the We'll talk about it in a bit, but it's like the orgy scene in it. It's, you know, there's no, you know, there's no need for it, really. It's, but it's yeah. a great scene. Looking, but, at, looking at Bob Kay's photo, that was more of an orgy that they would have yeah, yeah. Because orgy. you actually look at that, they ain't doing anything, are they? They're all basically just remain robbing their ends. There's, there's one girl slightly flirting towards Vex, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, that, that's about it. Really. Uh, uh, yeah, it was directed by Terence Fisher, produced by Anthony Nelson Keyes. And it was distributed by Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox. Uh, released the 20th of July 1968 in the UK. Winning time was 95 minutes. Cost £280,000 uh, because it was a low budget uh, film. Um, it was obviously the production of this was associated with British Pathé, mainly done by Hammer Films Productions and Seven Arts Studios. Uh, the music was done by James Bernard. So, now what do we do before we crack on? Gotta play one of the great horror theme tunes. It really is, isn't it?
it is actually, and the, the we'll talk about the Blu-ray. But if I forget, bring it up. Uh, no, it's but got. The, it's, we don't usually not in, we're not in using to technical specifications, are we? Mm, we no. don't really care if it's on a crappy old videotape yeah. or a four K Blu-ray transfer. But we would have to talk about it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I know, they, I know they talk about the music quite a bit there. I, Oh yeah, but the, the music we will talk about it as we go mm, on. Yeah. yeah, because it is it does bring it out. Doesn't it? I think they did say that uh, there's a wonderful review. I'll send you the link to the website actually because the reviews of the horror films on there are fantastic. You love it. You've yeah. got them ones where below like we used to live with you, where you'd have a Halliwell's film guide and you'd spend oh. many an hour just flicking through. Oh, it's coming out of yours. That was my, my oh, memories of yours. It's coming out and reading through that Halliwell's film guide. One of my goals was to buy every film that was in that. It's ridiculous, really, isn't it? It's a bit stupid, really. Yeah. Um, so the people in this film, uh, Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee as Nicholas <laughs> Duke de Richelieu. Uh, Christopher Lee. Now, I, I'm not going to go into detail about Christopher Lee because I really, I honestly think we should do a podcast on its own. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Lee. And it's been like most, you know, you don't, you, you know, you're right. You don't have to go too much because people know Christopher Lee. Yeah, but if I, think, I think he deserves a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's too... everything he's done. But I'll just give you the the basics here. The way he does. Uh, born Christopher Frank Caladini Lee, on the 27th of March. 1922. It's crazy, that, so isn't it? Around about 92 in Belgravia, London. Uh, his alpha mater, alma mater, sorry, is Wellington College. His occupation is actor, singer, and author. Uh, he's been acting since 1946. He's been married to uh, the same wife, Bridget Knock, since 1961. Uh-huh. He was in the military. His allegiances are towards Finland and the United Kingdom. He was in uh, the Finnish Army in December 1939. He was in the British Home Guard in 1940 and then the Royal Air Force from 1941 to 1946. He was the rank of Flight Lieutenant. Uh-huh. His battles and wars he was in was the Winter War, World War II, the North African Campaign with the Allied Invasion of Italy, the Battle of Monte Cassino. So there's a lot to talk about that, man. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> life, really. He's just brought out a heavy metal album. I know, he's, yeah, he, he's a brilliant person. He is great. And, he, and I remember we nearly had the opportunity to meet him in Nottingham, but we were leaving Nottingham the day before, if you remember. That was right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you think now he's 92, he probably doesn't get to do a lot of these meet and greet kind of stuff now, does he? Because all of his stuff that was done for the Hobbit films I know what, was filmed in could England. You, could you tell? Oh no! You couldn't no, see. No, 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 there's no, no way. He no, didn't. what Jackson did was Jackson shipped the set from New Zealand, part of the set, mm. to to um, uh, Boreham I think mm. no, it weren't Boreham to um, Pinewood, and filmed it there. So you you couldn't tell, couldn't no. tell. But you can't expect a 92 year old to get on the flight for nearly 30 hours. It doesn't, it doesn't get off. It, it doesn't matter what <laughs> yeah. luxury seat in your. You've tried. Yeah, you've. I don't you think know. you did. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll be doing it again. You know, soon with, with Australia. But it's like it's one of those things where it's great to get there. But it doesn't matter. You know, you can be the youngest, fittest guy in the world. 24 hours. You tried sleeping pills, and yeah, and he still didn't. Yeah, uh, it did work with a sleeping pill, but then I only slept for four hours. Yeah, you know, and so it's. Yeah, there's ways of coping, but in 92, I dread, I dread to be like that. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the thing about, every time I, I mention about moving over to Australia now, there is a thing that if you want your parents go out, my, my dad's 70 now. Yeah, yeah. You think yeah, he's he, a thing. He might be able to do one journey, and that would be it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ed's mum does it quite regularly, but I think that's what he's made over there. Um, so, Charles Gray. Wonderful Charles Gray. Born yeah. Donald Marshall Gray on the 29th of August, 1928 in Bournemouth. He passed away on the 7th of March 2000, oh. uh, aged 71. Uh, now, we talked about this, ironically, it's nice in that he regularly dubbed for Jack Hawkins after Hawkins's larynx was, larynx was removed to combat throat cancer. Uh, the two otherwise highly distinctive men's voices were very similar. An example of this is in the film Theatre of Blood. It's really amazing to think 
that that had happened these days. Mm. The actor has got no voice. I'd just bring a dubbing in. It'd never yeah. happen. You'd just be they'd get rid of you. <coughs> they would do. It's, I mean, and he played uh, Makata, who's uh, who's the main bad villain in this. And he is he is pretty bad. Oh yeah, you, you know, if there was a malevolent evil, yeah. it's Charles Gray in this film, isn't it? You're thinking he's got that Cheshire Cat. He is. He does look like the Cheshire Cat. Or is there someone from uh, Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, uh, but you just know it's evil. Mm. Because, like I said, as we were talking about, he's acting in this. He didn't do a load of acting. No. It's his eyes. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, the thing is, he, 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 play, he played a wonderful Mycroft Holmes with Jeremy Brett. And, and actually stood in uh, when Jeremy Brett's illness came It's in. a really good couple of yeah. episodes, isn't it? He, I really he, liked he took, them all. He too. took on the mantle of Holmes's role, really, because Jeremy Brett was, was so poorly. Uh, and he's brilliant. He's really imposing. You know what I thought as well? It's like, why he's the best Mycroft? Because when Sherlock, uh, when you saw Jeremy Brett meet him, you got the impression that Sherlock was inferior to him. Yeah. Oh, well, you, in the book. You don't get that with Cumberbatch and uh, Fingy. You always think, yeah, Cumberbatch is cleverer than Gaddis. Yeah, no, that, that's the one thing I don't like about that, where yeah. they should have, Mycroft is a dominant, is the older brother, but he's also far in, far more intelligent, and he's also better at deducing stuff. There's a wonderful scene where they do a battle-off uh, uh, stuff of who's you know who could do some most stuff, um, but in fact that, that Holmes has always said that uh, Mycroft doesn't have the staying power, which is why Holmes is always better. Yeah, yeah. Because Holmes will be dedicated to it, as Mycroft is too busy running the country. Yeah, yeah. That's why uh, uh, I, I love that. I love the thing of Mycroft in, um, especially in the uh, Guy Ritchie ones. He's the keeper of the uh, country's broom. Yes, covered isn't he? <laughs> whatever that means. Whatever that is. That's whatever Stephen Fry, isn't it? Yeah, whatever yeah. that is. Like, I think that's what I mean. Naked the Stephen Fry. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I always saw that. Oh, I love them films. I love them. I love Robert Downey. I watched them again the other yeah, week. I really liked them. Yeah, no, thoroughly. And I really look forward to the third one. Yeah, yeah. So I said, it's my favourite thing in that. It's my favourite um, Mariotti. I love the Mariotti in that. Oh, um, Richard Harris and Jeremy. Yeah, Harris. Jess, he, he's amazing in it. Yeah, because he's clearly doing that. Mm. Because you don't know me, Mariotti. But I, again, you thought he's clever and tougher. Mm. You know, and that was the thing that, I, you know, we've talked about this before, haven't we? That, that in, yeah, again, in the Cumberbatch, Mariotti was good when he was in it for five minutes. Yeah. When the man in episode, it got silly. Yeah, I mean, I think that he, he just, you know, having him in the swimming pool was fantastic, that scene in there. And he was slightly slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite good, actually. Quite menacing, quite unnerving. But the trouble is then, every time I saw that actor, that's how he seems to act all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Nike, I'm going to probably say her name wrong, Aliga, who played Tanif. Um, now, she... Weird in that. She's yeah, quite an odd ball she in that. She's like, <laughs> quite odd in real life as well. But born March 9th, 1947, in Nice. Um, resides in Italy. Nationality of French. Uh, actress been... Uh, years actress from 66 to 74 as an actress. Um, she was in uh, obviously the film we're talking about Day for Night and Woman in Love but she was also in uh, The Prisoner in one episode what she which one yeah, called one? Many Happy Returns uh, ironically which was because um, it was Big Pat McGoon's birthday yesterday at the time of recording yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah uh, she played the gypsy girl in that one for Rob oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 uh, Leon Green Leon Green uh, played Rex Von Wynn uh, ironically pl- uh, put, sorry ironically dubbed by Patrick Allen uh, now Patrick Allen if you're, in, yeah, if you're in Britain yeah. he's, you're bought up with Patrick Allen's voice so, yeah, it's Wonderful. all everywhere oh, he's got such a good voice he, he, I really quite knew him from Sherlock Holmes he played um, Sebastian Moran 
Uh, oh man, uh, Moran, one of my favourite characters, Moran. his right hand man, and when you see it, because he's got Patrick Allen has a formidable jawline. Yeah. Formidable jawline, uh, and he, but he was also the introducer of Vickery's Big Night Out. That's how, yeah, <laughs> it's more there. And uh, but he's he passed away um, a couple of years ago, and he's now mi- not mimicked, but there's somebody who does a voice very similar to on E4. So every time you, oh, like I saw that. Yeah, he's a slightly bald-headed guy who now talks like this. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Anton Deck. Yeah, yeah. And he does that voice, but he does it deliberately. He's not. He's not oh, he's, he's, he's doing it. Doing it's impression. Like the homage of Patrick Allen. Uh, but Leon Green, he was dubbed in this film because uh, in, he, he's actually he's an actor, but he's also an opera singer. And uh, according to that documentary that was on there, yeah. um, the reason why they dubbed him is because he almost sang his lines. Yeah, but the interesting thing is, it shows you that trailer where yeah. you hear a bit in his voice. And when you listen, he do, when you listen, he does actually. But it sounds good. Uh, you know, in a way, I would have. You know, I always think, right? Is there somewhere the original vocal dub? It's, there's not. Mm. The only dub you've got is the only bit is on the uh, trailer because Patrick Allen does the trailer voice. Which is really, which is really stupid, really. So Patrick Allen does a trailer voice, which means they can't use Patrick Allen's voice for the role of Rex, or he might, might, might not have been dubbed then. So then you only hear Rex's voice. But at the time, Patrick Allen wasn't, wasn't really that well known. No, no. So he was an actor, but no one would have got it. No. Now, of course, because I was watching it thinking, this guy sounds like Patrick Allen when <laughs> yeah. I was watching it. Because I didn't think about him in the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I went out when I was writing this, so I was looking at the script thinking, hold on a minute, it's dubbed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but of course you know Patrick Allen it's a bit more obvious you know so it's I suppose to people in America it wouldn't probably mean Patrick Allen is not that well known in America, in America no, is he anybody here's I think it's summer the sun's out in uh, England so basically which, which means the... someone's going to mow the law <laughs> yeah, that's what people do in Britain. all they do is mow the law and I can't complain because I think I'm going to be doing that tomorrow <laughs> uh, so Leon Green uh, born uh, Leonard George Green in 1931 uh, so he's still alive uh, occupation actor now I've just wrote down a, a couple of the films he was in and there's a few stand out here which is the reason why I wrote down a funny thing happened on the way to the forum don't lose your head a challenge for Robin Hood, carry on Henry, carry on at your convenience. I love that game. Royal Flash, The Ritz, The Seven Percent Solution. Uh, I really love that. I really love that. Uh, the Squeeze, Adventures of a Plumber's Maid. Oh dear. Give this uh, Robin Asquith for attention. <laughs> Flash Gordon, he played the Colonel of the Battle Control Room. Oh Masada, yeah. Masada and The Return of the Musketeers. Now Flash Gordon is a film I'd love to do at some point. Oh yeah. Mainly because you just. Did food. you hear that there's a sequel in the talks? I saw, the original cast? I saw old uh, Anthony on there, it's good mm. cast, uh, mention that the other day and I could not believe it. That would be amazing. I wonder if that, there's your cat. Yeah. I wonder if they would, um, I wonder if they would dub him yeah. again because I dubbed him, didn't I? Or Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Jones. And what's his, who's, who's the, uh, the got, Jason. Yeah, kind of. Jason, what's his name? Jason, well, Jason. Uh, uh, Peter Wingard. I like him young. <laughs> We're no, saying that. I don't. I don't know. No, he was done though, weren't he? But was he done for that? He wasn't done for Jim Wolf. No, no so. I think he was. He was, was like, we call it. We call it cut Jim. <laughs> we know what we mean. You know, you know what we mean by that. Yeah. George Michael. <laughs> yeah, he was done for uh, using using the uh, yeah. using the less room for other things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, oh, let's have. I tell you what, let's have a chat about. Patrick Moa, who played Simon Owen, a very young Patrick Moa in this. Uh, he was born Patrick Archibald Shaw 
on the 12th of September 1938, so he's knocking up to 76 now uh, in Oxford, uh, still acting now. Um, now, I know Patrick Moore really from uh, his role in Callum. Yeah, um, he's one of them actors. He's been around for a long time, but yeah. you, you, you can't think of him as one great role, can you? No, and that's the really. thing. He was one of them great character actors, weren't he? Yeah, on that documentary, he's interviewed on there, and he's got like a tweed jacket on, stuff like that. He's got quite a weird looking chin. But I was looking at him, and I was thinking, man, if you put him and Ian McShane together, they could play brothers. Definitely. You could have I like that story on there, though, about the height. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, 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 basically. Patrick Mower, he's quite tall, he's only was six foot one. Yeah. But he said compared to Christopher Lee, he's six foot five. Six foot five. And Liam Green, who put who put newspaper in his shoes, who so he'd bigger that bastard Lee. <laughs> <laughs> it sums up the better than these actors. I refuse to be the same height. I refuse to be the same as that bastard Christopher Lee. And then even the Patrick Mower, he made him look a midget, he? he looks really little. He's six foot one. But don't you think now that I mean I'll tell you this when we start talking about it, but um Christopher Lee um, he's such an imposing figure, isn't he? Even now, he's I regal. Think he's, quite an he's regal. He is regal. Yeah, yeah. Even though he isn't, he gives off such a gravitas mm. and coldness. That's what I think of Chris. Yeah, Lee. he's a he's a really warm bloke in real life. Yeah, but doesn't suffer fools badly. You can imagine. You can imagine well, that. Well, that was the thing. He was proper pissed off in uh, when he saw the uh, two towers at premiere because they cut his <laughs> they cut his scenes. He was proper angry. And even though his cutscenes are really good. Yeah, I could say. But then again, you know, you, we all know filmmaking, some things do have to get treated. Then. It was just I think that was good having, learning. Yeah, that was good having the, the extraditions, though, because yeah. you know, he's on there. But okay, so let's talk about the film. I've got, uh, I've got yeah, exactly what happens, but I'll interject here. So, set in London in the, and the south east of England in 1929, the story finds Nicholas Duke, Nicholas Duke de Richelieu. It's really. Weird yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Investigating the strange actions of the son of a friend, Simon Allen, who's a house complete with strange markings in the pentagram. Now, it's weird, this, because they, they, Christopher Lee goes and picks up Rex. And, but it's made out, it doesn't really explain what they're doing, but it sounds like some kind of reunion's going on. So, but they never really say what reunion is. Is it a reunion of like old? Because it can't be school friends. No, and it's a really interesting thing about this film, because, you know, when I watched it again last night, um, it's the ambiguity of this film. Mm. You, you know, you don't know what world... It, like you saying, you don't know what world it's in. That is a version of Britain that existed for about, what, 0.1% of the population. Yes. Right? And like you said, you don't know why they all know each other. Don't, mm. doesn't give you anything. There's no backstory to the characters particularly. No. Right? Would you want a friend like him in it? Not really. Cause yeah, because he's not very nice. No, and also when you look at the ages, presumably the bench were playing their ages. Christopher Lee was is ninety two now. Leon Green is eighty four. So that's what seven eight years difference. Patrick Moa is seventy six. So presumably, yeah, they're saying it's the, the son of a friend. So were they meant to meet? Is is his dad dead? And he stands it. Is it like some kind yeah. of mason? Or is it something even? Is it like because they're, they're all? It's only Christopher Lee who believes in black magic and the dark arts. Yeah, yeah holds a Christian belief because he's he's always got his cross with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, and so, but and also he's a scientific man mm. who you know you think about it at the time that's when science was science you know to get rid of all supernatural stuff. He's a really interesting, really interesting hero in this film. Yeah, he is. is he really a hero? Well, you don't know because I mean, he's really dominant. When he walks, when he collects Rex and they go to Simon's house and they say they haven't heard of him for a while and they walk in straight away, he's dominating everything. You can see that there's a party going on. Of all these strange people, I did make a note here in a note. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That, the Countess. The party scenes are really weird scenes. Her scene. eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is she doing that deliberately or what? Because yeah. she looks pretty cross-eyed. Charles Gray is running around. But the way that Charles Gray dominates Simon yeah. by, oh, I need to talk to him. For and there's an interesting thing in there. It's like someone said, you can see this film was done in the 60s where they were talking about, there was stuff going on in British society where there's like, uh, like there's black people at this party. Yes, there is actually. Now, you think what that world would have been like, you couldn't probably get more white Protestant than that. Mm. And there's a black person there, and no one's bothered. In the real times, if there was a black person at a party, well, they probably wouldn't have even been there. So how do they know a black person? In 1929. Yeah. How, how do they know? You just don't know what's, go- what's going on. No. And you see, that's all, but, that yeah, is because, all yeah. maths and that is, because none of that's in the Dennis Wheatley stuff. Yeah. None of that. I that did, was in bringing I did it look to... up as well. The, yeah, because he's an African actor in that thing as well. And I did see his name, and stupidly, I'll just be looking here. I thought I wrote his, um, his name down because I was looking for... I'll come to it in a minute. And he's got the actor in that. He's been in quite a few things, a lot of Hammer stuff, actually. Um, but yeah, no, it is. And it kind of... What's interesting about that is, obviously, the 60s are a bit more of a liberal time, and, and, exactly. and, and rightly so. And like now, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's second nature. Well, now, unfortunately, we're going to slide the other oh, way. Oh, now we're going to get a production where... where no. you, the, especially the BBC are seem to be having to... Right, we're doing the Napoleonic Wars, and we're going to have... Uh, let's cast a black guy who's Napoleon's second lieutenant, because yeah, yeah. that's where we have to do it. Well, you can't do that, but nothing against anyone doing that as an actor. But, you know, it's just going too far now. But... Yeah, I think that adds adds a bit of thing to the. Well, that's the a sixties. Like, that's on? a sixties vibe in the twenties, and that's yeah. what I like about that. Scene. So you think now that but uh, Baz Luhrmann does that kind of thing with when he does stuff like Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, where he adds that kind of modern day music with. I think it's a good dance. thing to do. I think it was. I mean, I'm not a great fan. Of, I don't really like Romeo and Juliet, but I Plunkett McClain did it. Plunkett McClain. I thought the music in Plunkett McClain, especially the ballroom scene. Why does it have to be period music? I think sometimes. Or interesting fact. First ever DVD I bought. Plunkett McClain because I remember going back from work and you yeah. spent like about five. Uh, and we had a DVD. But I was like, we've got a DVD player." Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no, but that's why that that you know that's that's what I like about Matheson's writing. Mm. If you're really Dennis Wheatley, it's all a bit staid, upper class. Mm. With that, you're thinking, well, you know, this isn't about class because you've got an African person there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And who are all these people? It's got a hippie vibe going on, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, they they, they turn around and says, "Oh, it's an astronomical society meeting." Uh, and you think, well, there's a lot of people here interested in astronomy in 1929, and that's right. Uh, and, and women being yeah. involved in this as well in 1929. You know, this yeah, is still the the kind of times where know your place. Yeah, it's got that great line in that scene now when they're running up to there. It now and he goes, yeah. "Why blast? Why are you going to look at his uh, telescope?" Yeah. And he just goes, "I'm not. I'm not." Because that's what Christopher did like it all the while. He's really, really terse. Nope. Yeah. No. Yes. Nope. That is really good because I just got here because I love the way Christopher Lee dominates every scene. Uh, apparently, I was put there about, it, about um, he's being tight, but as you say, he walks in and he goes, oh, I, must, I see you've got an observatory up there. I must go and see it. Uh, and he goes up there and like, Rex is going, what do you want to say that? He goes, I don't want But when they walk in, they got a Pentagon scene. Now, is that where that Pentagon scene was a little bit later on where that strange figure appears? It's later on. Is that later on? Um, I just want to talk about that then because just it is a bit later on in the film but I, I said, found that I couldn't find the actor's name I was trying to find, he's not credited anyway so I don't know who he is but I think that scene where this this guy just appears out of smoke in the middle of the pentagram and Christopher Lee's saying don't look at him don't look at him in the eyes and like Vex is like I'm looking at you in the eyes I mean <laughs> <laughs> but the fact he must have contact lenses out 
contact lenses, didn't he? Remind me a little bit like Herbert Lom in, in one of the early, early. It's his smile. He's always smiling. He's always smiling at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so disturbing. I, mean, I find that the most disturbing scene in the film. Yeah, again, it's all about the eyes in that film. Mm. It's all about hypnotism. Yeah, <laughs> hypnotism, isn't it? And control. Everything Charles Gray only acts with his eyes. eyes. He's obsessed with it. And you've got Christopher Lee who's trying to hypnotise people. Yeah. Charles Gray's hypnotising people. Then the, the thing he's scared at, not that he's a big bloke, mm. don't look at his eyes. Yeah. Why, why not look but at his eyes? It's just, I think, often, I think the most disturbed people are the ones that always smile. It's why I don't trust Brian Cox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't trust that man. Yeah, There's yeah. something not right about him. You can't smile like that all the time. It's, no, it's no. either drugs or the occult. Yeah, yeah, Hank yeah. The city does a lot with the stars. Yeah, it was yeah. on TV this morning, banging my about the clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's weird that we're doing this today. <laughs> oh, no. We, is, that, is that an omen? Because we just had the uh, 97, 97% new clips last today. Not at 9.30. As we all stood outside. Can you go, my eyes are burning. <laughs> um, so, yeah, old Christopher Lee's character uh, quickly deduces that Simon is involved with the occult. Mainly because of the pentagram written on the floor. Yeah, that gives you a lie. Also the chest of chickens. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much that must have bloody cost as well to have that done. What, the pentagram? Yeah. No, a lie, it's only a Yeah, but the thing is, it must have asked someone... House, yeah, someone must have asked someone to come in and do it. It must have been a local firm coming and do that. If no, because it's, like, it's only polystyrene, yeah. isn't it? It's not... It's not... They didn't actually get a mace in the aliens. <laughs> oh, I'm going to chisel some things up here. Um, I just said there, strange about strange the moody eyes pops up. Um, the other scene when, when they rescue Simon and take him out the, it's when he tries to choke himself that's actually another quite yeah, yeah. disturbing I like that actor as well that's uh, uh, who plays him it's um, him out of Yes Minister isn't he um, oh, no 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 no. Uh, oh yeah The House yeah yeah uh, Paul Eddington I really like him in that who's basically playing Jerry out of The Good Life that's what I'm saying <laughs> that's all he ever did but he's really good at that stuffy yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, he's, brilliant, he's brilliant in yes. Oh, we're brilliant. We've got we can produce actors like that brilliantly. Mm. Martin Freeman's like the modern version of that, isn't he? Yeah. Stuffy, a bit reserved, mm. a bit frustrated. We're really good at doing things like, that. and I think he's rolling that. He's really integral because I think Charles Gray, good for this, so domineering. You need someone who you feel. Oh, they're not, oh, they're the not all. Man. Yeah, they're not on. all. Yeah, he's, he doesn't. Not everyone. Because you're really good for that thinking. He, he's always one step ahead of everyone. Yeah. And with him, he's not. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think as well. But I mean, the only dad's like because the house that they go to, his house, is like a beautiful mansion, isn't it? Oh, it's like that. They've, they've, everyone, they've, everyone, everyone lived in. This is what I better think of people in America. We all live in mansions because that house would be a fucking lot of money, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would and there's no explanation. You don't seem. None of them seem to be. None of them seem to work. Now, um, Nicholas. Nick, I'm just going to call him Nicholas, all right? Because I can't be doing all this derishly. De- 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nicholas and Vex, uh, rescue Simon. Of course, they take him to. Oh, uh, they they disrupt. A ceremony on Salisbury Plain in which the devil, baffling it, himself appears. The Goat of Mendes. The Goat of Mendes. Which it's is brilliant really, really good. A little bit of facts for you here. I thought I'd throw an earlier fact in. Yeah. Uh, the, the devil here is played by Eddie Powell. Now, Powell performed the stunt work in several films for Hammer Studios, serving as a regular stunt double for Christopher Lee. Ah. Uh, his credits during his time included portraying Dracula in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. The Mummy in the Mummy Shroud. He also appeared in several James Bond films and in Dalek Invasion Earth oh, 2001. I love that. Powell portrayed the aliens for stunt work in Alien and yeah. Aliens. He also did stunts in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Batman 
and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. What amazing, what an amazing career that man's yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, and because the guy at Mendes bit, he's brilliant. That was when I was a kid, it fucking terrified me, that yeah. did, because when you're a kid, you picture him as a red bloke. Yeah. Or you saw him in like Bugs Bunny things, he'd be like a red bloke. He was never that scary. Really. Yeah, and it's the way he looks, isn't it? It's the yeah. way he's like sitting above him. He's like above it all. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. All these people are trying to impress him by having this big orgy, but he's not fussed. No. And also, the, what's weird about that when you watch that, Charles Gray's character, he's not plussed either. Yeah. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the devil. Yeah, it's like he, he do, he's a, so obviously that's the thing where he's this is something he's done on a regular basis yeah. as everyone else is just going through one of the orgy people one of the uh, occultists is uh, Peter Swanwick who played the control of the observer in the prisoner god you've got a, got a good prisoner facts in this today yeah yeah it's just my head's full of it <laughs> yeah. if, I only, if I only had all these knowledge about something worthwhile <laughs> now going back to what you're saying they escaped and ended up going back to the Eatons which of course is uh, Paul Ennton's character now, friends of Vishnu uh, and Van Rin. Uh, and but they're followed by the group's leader, uh, Makata, who has a psychic connection to the two, uh, uh, the two people, which is brilliant. Now, he this says... This is a great scene, isn't it? The, the scene which he turns around and, and, like, she... The woman... And it's, what's really good as well is the fact the woman's the one who kind of snaps out of it yeah, yeah. when she gets interrupted by her daughter. Two women characters. It's the way the sound goes out with that. That's what I like about that. Yeah. It's all a normal drive. And then the dub, like, the audio goes... yeah. And, it's and really, the background's gone, and yeah. it's just her, and, and I really like that stuff, yeah. like that. And just Charles Gray's eyes telling him what to do, and she's going for it, and then it's interrupted by the young girl, Penny. And it, it all comes up, she tells him to get out, but his line goes, I won't be coming back here, but something will. Is it the great oh, line in that film? It's like when that film said, it's the great line that Yeah. It's so, you think, what is it, what the fuck is he going to make? What's he going to do? It's like, I love that scene, you know, when he's trying to hypnotise that. And he goes, and he's, and he's asking that woman who's who's up there. Where's bloody goes upstairs? And he just looks back. Yeah, and just looks up. Oh, like that. He don't get up. No. And go and have a look. He just looks up and he knows what he's going to do. Yeah. And I love that scene. It's so well directed that it could that could easily have been as you say. It could easily be really hokey. Oh, it could bang the table. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's subtle. It's not. It reminds me very much, really, like um, what we were saying about how Gary Oldman can act. A John Hurt, where they do a lot of their acting by subtle movements. It's really like what they used to say about Steve McQueen. He mumbled a lot of his films, but he only had to look a certain way. Your brain was like, oh, exactly the same. Acting's, acting's not all about having a booming voice and knowing all for Shakespeare. You know, like I said, you know, my, you know, in my top five actors all the time, Marlon Brando invented all that. I know you were not going to get, but he was the first to say, well, you, you don't have to have big theatrical movements mm. with cinema actors. They will notice... You move a millimetre on screen. Yeah. So just move a millimetre. Well, Brando did, because he was that big. Yeah, but in the original, that's what he did. He said, he got away from stage acting, what's all, we saw that, when we just saw that, so it's all over the top, flaying your arms right, because people are looking. That was good, though. I'm not saying that. I love <laughs> French acting, but, you know, you've got to do that, because someone could be sitting right at the back, and I've got yeah, to see you moving. See yeah. On the screen, it's fucking massive. Yeah. You know, just, and that, I love all that, and that Charles Grant is amazing at that, in that, because he's not, He's not intimidating. Mm. He, he looks like an old bloke with a nice smile and nice blue eyes. Well, he's charming, isn't he? Yeah. And some of the most... Ch- it's like the Mark Gatti said on there, doesn't he? That he's got the best thing a villain does. Uh, villains don't know the wrong. Mm. Because to them, they're right. Yeah. So why would you be bad? You'd be yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is exactly right, isn't it? Mm. This idea of a bond buddy where you know you're bad is wrong. Why would you set something up to be bad? Well, you don't, do you? No, no one who's bad deliberately thinks very, very bad. But I don't know, well, they're just bad. 
Yeah. Some people, yeah, they're just bad. What? Right? Desperado uh, <laughs> yeah. payback. At least you didn't burn bollocks. <laughs> That's a classic. No, we've, we've just said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw a picture you said of Brando the other day. I'm starting to, uh, like, you know, you know my opinions of Brando anyway. But I mean, um, apart from his early films, which he was blessed That's what I'm talking about his early I don't get into his See, I personally think, just, just throwing in this waffling thing, I think his last great film was Godfather. Because when you, when you see what he looked like, I mean, when you see before Michael on Godfather set, he still looks really young. Oh yeah, like, he's just like his good moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when they they make him up with the padding and all this kind of stuff, man, he but, changes. But then he's he's acting in that. He's an old. He's not playing an old guy when he's young. Yeah, he's really quite scary in it. It's where how it should be. Yeah, yeah but then again, to scary and, and, and that and that's the thing with him. That definitely in that film that you think he's scary, but he's actual. The way he is, he's jolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his kids, he's really opening. Mm-hmm. He's really respectful to people. He's playing with his kids, and that—that's true power. Well, that there's a scene in that where when when you get that guy who comes in and he's saying, "Oh, he won't do that," and he, he's being like, but then he stands up and he loses his temper with him. You know, man up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That there's that man scene in that because I love you know I love about that scene is you look in that scene. He's sitting with the cat. He's stroking the cat when he's doing this. Well, that's a homage to uh, right, Bond, and, yeah. and that's supposed to be the symbol of the film. He's he's playing with these people. Yeah, I've got these people in my hand. And well, I'm see, as soon them. as you, uh, as soon because that's you, what James Bond's all about. Blowfowl. These are the people I'm controlling. These people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, back to um, back to the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, they went up, like this is the weird bit where where old. Christopher Lee gets them all together inside the Pentagon. And as you say, the Paul Eddington character. He's horrible. Yeah, you know, the Eatons. He's sort of like, he's going, oh, do we, I want to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a British way yeah, of, yeah, all problems. Yeah, we're having a drink. And then, no, no, you must stay in the circle. Ironically, the one thing you forget, they forget about the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upstairs, but it's, it's the wonderful scene with the spider. You get that spider and on the blue ray, which we'll talk about later on, it, it looks even more magical like, with the spider on it. Three spiders were using that. Wow. And they did that. Two of them died. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one of them is the one you see yeah, with yeah. the acid. Yeah. That is actually a it's not a model. They just poured acid on the spider. And then <laughs> it, it was dead. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. One, of them, one died under the studio lights, uh, and the other one. Yeah, I mean, obviously they weren't massive. We know. Yeah. Because it ends. We, we know all that. It ends then with the conjuring of the angel of death. With this big angel comes on horseback, which is quite. Formidable with the silver hooves, like Mark Gatti says, you know. And I, I, I don't even mind the fact that it, when he pulls the mask, I know. Up, it's a skull. This I is love one that. of the things I was going to say to you. Mm. I mean, I'm, there's, there's a few things on that documentary. If anyone ever goes out and buys a Blu-ray, this I would advise you it. Pick it up quite cheap. It's quite cheap, but it's just got everything you want from a film. But it's got what I don't like in Britain about horror films. People are snooty about them. Yeah. And it's like, well, which 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 is ironic because in that Britain's Britain's um, uh, giving of horror films virtually all come from Hammer and who was the rival company who come Amicus Amicus. So you know you shouldn't be snooty about that because in some of the stuff we we brought out, which which is pretty bad, they, they should have more of a of an opinion of like how some American films like look at like the first Evil Dead film. When you look at it, some of the effects on it are pretty schlocky, really. But you look past that. Like I, say, I can't stand people. It's like when I used to live with Kev, our, our friend, and he never liked, he couldn't watch the original Star Trek series because of the effects. Mm. And he used to say to him, don't be so shallow. Yeah. Look past that. When you read a book, 
You can't see any effects. Because well, that stuff you're reading. It's me like saying, saying, I'm not going to watch Love and Hardy because it's in black and white. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You, you, it's the story you're going for. If you're just focusing on the film, there's a bit, oh, the effects look really hokey. Well, it, no. When I was 13, when I, you know, it terrified me. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, actually, it looked better at school than a person. Because I like, I wouldn't want a person with like a red face or something. I like the fact if it, I think, what? That's yeah. dead? It's properly dead? It's properly dead. The hands yeah, are dead. Yeah. I mean, it, it is that thing as well where it's like a, a good horror film should... Horror, it's horror, it's horrific. It's horrific, horror. yeah. People have got away from that. Yeah, like like, it's not jumping which, in which any way. Like, I, I remember, and I've, I have got some now, but I don't know if I bought them. I'll bring them into it for you to look at work. Uh, I managed to get hold of some of my old screen magazines that I used to buy when I was a kid. That is really that was, yeah. But they petrified me that bad that I had to throw them away. I was so <laughs> scared by them. And, and I started getting these things where I, I had to kick a football 13 times in the air, otherwise I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. You think that's irrational for a start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's what these comics did, because I used to what, uh, read like Floor 13 and stuff like that, and that's a magazine. Yeah, and yeah. that's what Hammer Harley used to do with me. Oh, yeah, I think... And, no, right, now you've got you've got like effects with the, especially with like Star Trek where they bought and yeah they do look fantastic but and I think you can get I think you can get on the, the Blu-ray box sets I think you, they give you the option of having the, the updated new... ones and the original oh yeah there's no doubt the updated ones do look good they do look great, it does look good it, it's still brilliant stuff and yeah. I think I think with, with this film really there's not that many. I mean the only thing about the horse that you see there it's asthmatic oh yeah it's not really that's it's really really crap horse yeah, it's really crap horse he did one move and then it fell down. But, you know, I said that last 20 minutes, I don't think there's hammered it better. No. I know, but, you know, I love Dracula, I love The Mummy, I love all them classics of Frankenstein, but that last 20 minutes is terrifying. Obviously, it's not, if you've never saw it when you're 40 years old, you're not going to be scared when you watch it. Yeah. But you think of the time that was, in the late 60s, it was true horror. Mm. Do you know, and without blood and gore. And, and, it's and, difficult yeah, to and, do. And, you know, the silent, silent, oh. silent. Oh, silent. no, that's just oh. the mud and bloody thing. Yeah. I can't stand it. It's none of that. And it's a whole... And, you know, it's the only time in it when you see uh, Richelieu where... He, Rochefort, Richelieu, that's... That's Musketeers. Musketeers. Rochefort. That he's scared. Rochefort. He's scared. He's scared. Richelieu. Richelieu, that's it. He's scared. It's the only time in that film... You never think he's bothered, you know. Yeah. He's never bothered, he never flusters, but that scheme is him, because he's doing that classic British, don't look in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, looking away, looking away. Now, Bruce was able to repel the angel, but it kills Tanith instead, because as one summoned, he must take a life. His attacks defeated, MacArthur kidnaps little Peggy, the little girl, and the Duke, as Tanith's spirit, possesses Peggy's mother in order to find MacArthur, but they're only able to get a single clue from which Rex realises that the cultists are at a house he'd visited earlier. Ironically, Rex phones from an AA phone box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was looking at it thinking, I recognise those windows there, because I'm sad like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the exact same Is it like you were telling me that that stretch where they, where they did the car chase is a quite used... Yeah, it's called Avengers Land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just outside of Boreham Wood. And, uh, and that's the, they used the same stretch of land. Um, as and that's why it's called because I, I remember saying I've seen this before yeah, it's, called, it's called Avengers Land <laughs> so, um, Simon tries to rescue Peggy on his own but he's recaptured by the cult the Duke Richard and Peggy's family also try to rescue her but they are defeated by MacArthur suddenly a powerful force or Tanith herself begins ruling Mrs Eaton but to stop to Peggy's trance she then leads Peggy into the re- recitation of the spell which is really good then because that's the thing that Christopher says we can't do we can't do it and it kills all of the cultists and transforms their coven room into a church. A bit weird. 
And when the Duke and his companions awaken, they discover that, that, that the spell Peggy was led into, casting has reversed time and changed the future in their favour. Simon and Tanny have survived while MacArthur's spell to conjure the angel of death has been reflected back on him. Now he pays the price of loss of life and the internal damnation of his soul for having wrongly summoned the angel of death. Nicholas de Richelieu comments that it is God that they must be thankful for. It's really weird because when everything's breaking down, they're all screaming and suddenly like there's a big huge cross on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And you know, which I've always found a bit weird for now. So I know that the cross is a symbol of like Christianity or the symbol of Christ. Christ. But there is that thing of like it's I always remember I think it was a community term and said, Yeah, you really like Jimi Hendrix, but you don't have a symbol no, of it's, uh, Bill symbol. Hicks. Bill Hicks, you don't have a symbol of vomit on your coat. Yeah, it's just a weird thing. It's a bit isn't weird, it? isn't it really? It's a bit like, you know, uh, you, you carry something that you died on. I don't get it. Yeah. I think but I think I'm like that with funerals. I think I'd much rather celebrate a life than mourn it. I'm into wakes and the, the, the West Indian Caribbean way of celebrating someone's life. Don't concentrate on the last few weeks or few months. Mm. They had a, a, a whole, a whole life. Might have had seventy years of happiness. They and might have been or they might be real miserable. Or they might have been really miserable. <laughs> yeah, you know. Miserable. So I mean, I think the ending. I mean, that, I, I that's just the biggest turn. Yeah. talking point. If you, if, you, yeah. if you read the reviews on mm. Amazon, which generally the people who write the people who are the big names aren't they? Right? People really hate the ending. Oh, oh really? It's, it's a cop out. Uh, you know, but, but no. I don't think it's a cop out at all. No, I don't. And you know, it's not the book. Yeah. And this is the thing, in it. And this, you know, if if he had, you know, if Dennis Wheatley didn't want it, he wouldn't have wrote I mean, he only marble here. Send him a letter saying how much he loved it because he loved it. It's own mm-hmm. thing. And he said, "You read the book, or you watch the film. The two different things. Yeah. And it's, it's like nice. The, it's like the Hobbit, I think. It well, sets yeah. it. You know, it finishes the film, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You don't leave anything open. You, you don't want what? another film. It's like, oh, I've done it. When it ended, I actually applauded. Was a Robin outside? That's nice. Um, when it ended, I actually went. Oh, I actually clapped. Because it, I was like, it was, it was so well done. Because you so forgot how much you liked this film, didn't oh, you? Because I mean, you hadn't seen it for years. The last time I saw it was on video. Yeah. I think when we lived with each other. It's such it like an enjoyable film. Oh, it's so good. And I, I sat there and I, I, I give it a round of applause and it was so good. By the time I ended up watching the documentary, it was like coming towards midnight. Yeah, I was yeah, like, I can't yeah. watch it. And then I knew you wanted it back so yeah, you yeah, yeah. watch it. And Steve at work wants to watch it as well. So I said that you'd lend it in. Because he loves this film as well. And when I told him that, he was covering it on Waffle Iron. He was like, oh man, I love. I haven't seen it in years, but I really love that film. And that's really nice to hear because because I don't think Steve's an overly big horror fan. No, no, no. I know no, he likes no. his epic films. Yeah. But I've never really heard him talk a lot about horror, horror films. Yeah. And for, for somebody then to turn, you know, when you made words to you know what, I really love that film. You kind of think, oh man, there's other, yeah. there's other people. Because you know horror film people, you know, especially Hammer fans, uh, uh, one of our listeners and, and my friend, uh, Nikki Mannion, she loves this film as well. And she, you know, she goes, oh, it's one of the best horror, horror it films. It is. But... It's surprising how you know people don't talk a lot about Hammer because they do, but they talk about the obvious. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Hammer made this is the best Hammer Hammer film. I, I, you know, I said I've got the I've got the box set of the classics, which yeah. is Frankenstein, Dracula. Have you? I've got. The, have you got the same? I've got the square one with the lid that comes out and it opens out the front. Have you got the same for me? Yeah. Oh, okay. They are great films I'm because it's got yeah. cushioning, mm. but. If you want, if I was going to say to someone, I've never heard of Hammer films. Say my niece, who's fourteen, who just started watching horror films, and she's about the age, and she's talking to me about horror films the weekend, and I said I'll have to think of some horror films, and I'm going to borrow these because I brilliant when you're fourteen, yeah, because it's not too violent, it's not, it's it's scary, but you're not going to be, you're not going to have nightmares. Evil Dead Two, 
Yeah, that you know, might be a bit too. Honest. We were watching it, weren't we? I think you know. <laughs> Look at we turn that. <laughs> but I think that you know, any, it's like anyone who don't like horror films, you could watch this film and enjoy it yeah. because it's a thriller as well. Hmm. It's a psychological thriller because it's all these playing, playing off each child's greatest belief against each other. It's the, yeah. the Holmes and Moriarty, isn't it? And but yeah, yeah it, is it really is, isn't it? Uh, got some facts for you. Here's some facts. Uh, Christopher Lee has called this his favourite Hammer film. Oh, he, he, oh, yeah, he's he, brilliant, isn't he? It was done at Christopher Lee's insistence that Hammer do a film based on Wheatley's fantasy novel. The movie's US title, so those people in America, uh, you had it as The Devil's Bride because its original title made it sound too much like a western. Which is strange, really, it's isn't it? It's nothing to do with a bride, isn't it? I can't, yeah. Because like we were saying about the orgy scene, which we didn't really go into too much in, but the think, orgy scene is like, you know... Yeah, don't think anyone who's uh, got... I don't know what to like say. Oh, no, no, there's not... There's, there's no sex. There's no, there's no bare skin in this. <laughs> no, it's people flying their arms or just running around screaming. It's, it's Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there's more breasts in Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. um, the film takes place from April 29th to May the 2nd, 1929. Um, Hammer first wanted Gert Froeb in the role of MacArthur. Gert Froh, of course, was um, uh, the, the main guy in The Man With the... No, he was Goldfinger. Ah, that's he interesting. Was also, uh, we watched it without... Now, you might like this. You'll appreciate this. He was on BBC Two. We caught the last 10 minutes of Jules Verne's Rocket to the Moon. Oh, that's wicked. And Isla sat there and she was, oh, can we watch this? It's the end of it. Until I realised I had it for my birthday on DVD. So I went upstairs, took it out of its packaging, came downstairs, and we watched the whole film. Did she like it? She loved it's it, brilliant. man. It's what imagination. Terry, Terry yeah, but, but Terry Thomas isn't he? Um, oh, you know what's his name? The actor um, with the bald head. Oh, uh, Lionel Jeffries. Lionel Jeffries, who of course directs a lot of films. Yeah, he was in it, which is really good. But Gert Froes, the main the main guy in it, it's a brilliant film. Yeah, yeah. That is, she absolutely loved it. I thought, yeah, I want to get some some more of these. Um, now, The Conjuring of Satan was filmed in Black Park Country Park in Buckinghamshire, a familiar location bordering on the grounds of Pinewood Studios, which of course is home of the Bond movies. And this was also where Hagrid's hut in the very first Harry Potter film was ah, built. Interesting. So, there you go. The house of Villa MacArthur, one time Blofeld Charles Gray, is High Cannon's Buckersland Lane, Wells End, a couple of miles to the north of Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire. Uh, much used location seen in Hammer's The Satanic Rites of Jack. I like that. Uh, Half Moon Street, Rent a Dick, Murder on the Orient Express. Rent a Dick. You never call a film. I actually got that on order. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is close to Elf Street in Boring Wood. It's a private house and not visible from the road, so you can't just go nicking oh. uh, up there. Uh, the faux half timbered home of Richard and Mary Eaton, which of course is Paul Enton and Sarah Lawson, where the four characters spend the night besieged in the chalk circle, is the Chorus Hotel. Edgewarebury in Barney Lane, Elstree, so you could stop there. Bloody hell. Uh, conveniently close to Elstree and I think, mate, we've got to go on a hammer road trip at some point in our Well, life. you know what? You, you know that the house we've been in a lot of... Uh, the TV series was the beginning. No. Uh, the, the, oh, it could be. But the house that was also uh, in Rocky Harvest. Rocky Har- you can stop there. You That's can tell me. Yeah, it's a hotel. Oh, man, that'd be wicked, wouldn't yeah, it? Wicked. I wonder if they're doing any stuff there, like like conventions and I whatever. Think I think there is. I think Do the Rocky Harrow one? I think they're going to be tired of the Rocky Harrow people, too. <laughs> I think. Just getting out of fucking off the face well, and just, 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 just trying to vestize me. There's a, there's, a, there's a meeting going on. Um, conveniently close to Elstree and Bournemouth Studios, this veteran location was also the tennis club where Ian Carmichael is embarrassed by his clunky Swiftmobile before turning the tables on Caddy's Terry Thomas in the brilliant, which we're going to do for School for Scandal. Yeah, you know, Ian Carmichael, yeah. 
Oh yeah, oh, I just love that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also seen in Sons of the Sea with Leslie Banks, the rather dated Agatha Christie mystery novel. Uh, oh, mystery novel Endless Night, the 1970s black comedy Hawks with Anthony Edwards, who of course was in ER, and Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Hide and Seek, 96 Street, and the Fast Not Now Comrade. So that's that. So it's definitely worth buying. Kel, talk a little bit about the, Blu- the Blu-ray transfer of this film. Well, you know, this is what I was going to talk to you about. Remember when you come in earlier and said, I've got a bugbearer about something on that, right? Does it now, like we said earlier, we're not overly into technical details. I, I really don't care what it's on. You print it on a fucking wall. I ain't really bothered. Because <laughs> as long as you get the story, that's all that really matters to me. Yeah. But I didn't, but I hadn't told you about the transfer of this film. Oh, yeah. It takes your breath away, doesn't it? Oh, now, it, you know, they've talked about this 4K thing, the next thing, mm. and I thought, do you really know the difference? And I thought, if 4K is like that, yeah. I would get 4K. Yeah. Because it's with his cape, isn't it? it no, it's his dressing gown. Dressing gown. It's his red dressing gown, where I was watching, I was thinking, my God, I can see all the slight gold leaf on it. And it was hypnotic. Yeah. It was just brilliant, and also when when Lee throws the water at the spider, the Hollywood, at the, at the yeah. spider, it's just just beautifully lit up as he does it. Yeah. It's amazing. I, yeah, if you think, I mean, unfortunately, the, the only bits that do suffer a bit are the green screenshots because it wasn't filmed on. No, no, no. That, you could do but you know that must have cost a lot of money oh, to yeah. do that transfer, that to find them old films and transfer it to that Blu-ray. But on the there's a bit on the documentary where there's like a Dennis Wheatley biographer. When they ask him, what do you think of the film? He goes, oh, it's good. I like it, but it's not a work of art. Mm. Bullshit, it's not a work of art. (laughs) I hate things like this. My big thing in culture is people telling me, middle-class people, saying to me what is culture and what is not. Mm. Culture to you may be great literature, may be opera, but to me, it's films, Mm. music, and games. So, They're the three things I like, yeah. and they are works of art. Now, that transfer of that is beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful. Forget whether you like the, like the film or not, and I thought, yeah, sums up again that the, in Britain, where in America, that doesn't go on because they've created their own culture in the yeah, 20th yeah, century. Yeah. Right, they give us well, all the new. It's yeah, like, they give us all the culture we like. Yeah. You know, I always say we are ch- children of America. <coughs> TV, gaming. Yeah. Fucking film and telly. Yeah. When we were kids, it was American stuff. Moonlighting yeah. and sledgehammer. Sledgehammer, all like that. <laughs> so, and that's what I don't like, but I thought, you know, this film is a work of art to me. Yeah. I think it's, every shot is beautiful. I think there's, and there's been some really, I mean, I was watching, um, uh, I know we've talked about it before. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice because I've got a cold. Um, Something online, we are going to do The Prisoner, and I can't wait to lend you the I'll do, yeah, yeah. I've seen screen, there's a, a great guy actually he does a prisoner he does a prisoner podcast and it was it's a bang on podcast yeah yeah uh, I think his name's Anthony Rooney on Facebook anyway he does the, the and also look under the Unmutual on Facebook because they they advertise it and but he's he was putting up screen grabs uh, comparing them you know and you look at them and you think oh yeah you know wow that looks pretty good but then you put it on and yeah. the, there's a scene where Pat McGowan's like uh, he looks like he, he, he's driving along the colour. The sky yeah. is so perfect. It's like looking at that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's perfectly yeah. blue. It's beautiful. It stands out. Yeah, yeah. And a little bit later on, we win a was for time when he stands there and he's all sh- unshaven and he's beat number two. The crispness of the of the picture, 
And it, you know, it was filmed using really good quality stuff. And I'm doing wrong. I've had the videos, I had the DVDs, and now I've got the Blu-ray. And it's so beautiful. And as you say, this is a work of art. People have put time and effort yeah. into work. Well, like it's, it's, like, it's like people go like the, the Doctor Who restoration team. I think they've been disbanded now. But um, you know, the work of art they've done to to clean up old episodes. It well, takes time. Well, like I said, you know, they'll. People are paid, lots of people, to restore a uh, to restore a painting. Yeah. And they're seen as geniuses. Yeah. Look how they brought the colour out. Oh, it's bold now, yeah. all these old frescoes on a wall. Oh, look how big it is. It's exactly the same. Yeah. The, the restoration in this film brings it to life. I mean, it's taking a negative. It's, it's washing it in the solution. It's cleaning it with baby buds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking miniature hairs off. And you could ruin a piece of film yeah, very, yeah. very easily. Well, you know it is. It's got its own documentary. Yeah. And that, like I said, anyone who's not sorry wants to go it. It's not a lot of money, is it? I don't think, no, I think no, it's about five quid. How oh, is it? Spend the money on the Blu-ray yeah. of it. Because I think, you know, you get the DVD, it'll be nice. But it's the Blu-ray. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, like you said, it pings off the I screen. Think it, I think your one's got the Blu-ray and DVD. It, it has got this. Yeah, so it's got a nice kind of thing, which I, I honestly wish more blue because my mum wanted to borrow, um, she, she was wearing Riley yesterday, she wanted to borrow Frozen and I couldn't lend it because it's Blu-ray and I don't have Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah the double plays really good. Double plays now, I think. But no, it's, it, is, it is a really good film and really worth getting, as you say. The doc, and Mark Gattis is on there. Oh, again, it's like talking said, about the music... Know. It's just, it's really disconcerting all the way through it, isn't it? Mm. And I thought it was amazing where the bloke who um, who wrote the, uh, the the music, who did the score for it, when he died, he had it played at his funeral. Oh, really? That's nice. It's pretty amazing, you know. And you think, it's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a weird... Ding, ding. It's got yeah. that really where it's, you don't know what's going on, which is the whole mood of the film is it's uncomfortable. Well, they were saying that when they edited the film together, that they were saying that something's not quite working with it. And it weren't until like, they put the music together. I know we talked about this in the last, last episode with how, and hopefully people who got it, when you listen to the Zulu episode, as soon as we played the theme to Zulu, you automatically are drawn into the situation. You want to yeah, watch yeah. the film. I think that's the same with this, this thing. Oh, definitely. As soon as you, you hear know, it, you think, what's going on here? Yeah. John Carpenter is a master of that. Definitely, because I do love uh, Martin Scorsese. He invented the, the modern soundtrack of Abbey Locker Jukebox. Yeah. It's brilliant. You know, good for it. But Tarantino. Brilliant, there's no doubt. The pick right is brilliant. But... There's been something lost with doing a proper score. Yeah, I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's very, easy, it. it's very it, easy to take a song that's already out there and put it in. Well, that's what all films do now, is it? And like I said, when it's done apart well. From, apart from um, stuff like, obviously, like Star Wars, Star Trek, where you're getting like. Oh, uh, uh, I think Williams doing it still. John Williams. Yeah. John Williams. Like, yeah. You know, like I said, I love Scorsese in Quintan Tino, but yeah, the soundtrack of Reservoir Dogs, when we, it was, we were just listening yeah, to all It's all fiction, fantastic. It's amazing, yeah. but when you see someone doing a proper score. Yeah. Or like Quintet, you know, probably John Carter was the last to be in doing his own score. It, it's something different, it makes it more personal. I think that's for that, that is. I think, I don't know how, I don't know if this is, I don't know if I actually read this or I dreamt it. Not too sure. <laughs> Not too sure. But I could have sworn, because I'm part of the John, I think you are as well, the John Carpenter appreciates yeah, yeah. on Facebook. And I'm sure somebody posted that there's going to be a massive box set of his music uh, no it's definitely happening it is happening it was, in, it was in the times of a week uh, there was yeah. a little interview with him because he said he now he knows he's getting on now yeah you know he's quite old now he's, he's not, quite old yeah right and he said I want to do I want to get this out because yeah. people are constantly asking him yeah when are you going to bring it all out together because his electronic scores just 
in a magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was talking listen to you couldn't you couldn't listen listen to all of it, could you? Uh, oh, all in one. That's a bit much going on. But you know, they're the personality of that film. Mm. Could I imagine them done with like a rock, a big rock soundtrack or an orchestral score? No, and that's what makes a thing. Yeah, it's yeah. that. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, and oh, Charlie the... Brookout used it all the while, yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. we're going to do the thing, aren't we? Yeah, I'll... should we do the thing as this year's Halloween? Because we didn't do a Halloween one last year. No, no, yeah, well, you we'll know, do that. using give me that film. I don't know, it. What? I got on video. It's one of the ones where but there was a blue right that means. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because I wanted to get hold on me. I've got it. No, I don't think I have. You know what? I've got that. As long as you're not going to be talking about his beard for forty minutes. <laughs> can't, can't, can't miss that, mate. <laughs> it's the perfect beard in that yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do next month? We are doing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, I can't wait for that. One. And that's we haven't done no good. westerns. Someone, but, and we, we do like westerns. Love we? westerns, yeah. Just Actually, um, who was it? Tina Roo. It was, yeah, yeah. Tina Roo asked us who we like westerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I know there's lots of people who go, mm, it's a bit obvious, but you know, it's a classic western, and everyone saw it. That's what I say. Yeah, I? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love nothing wrong with being obvious. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the value of it. There's, you know, we like loads of westerns, but it's got one of the best ever. I listen to that soundtrack. And it's Clint Eastwood. At least so. once a month. Yeah, it's got Clint Eastwood in it. It's got Eastwood. It's got Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. We, we can tell some facts about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's it. Anything else you want to throw in before we no, go? No, that's it. Thank no, you. No, no requests for anything brought to you this time. No, no, no. Okay, so we'll see you next month for the good and the bad and the ugly. Here's all the information where you can find us, and we'll see you next month. Bye bye. Bye. I shall not be back, but something will tonight. Something will come for Simon and the girl. If you would like to voice your opinions in written or vocal form, then please do email the lads at waffleonpodcast at gmail.com and await your views to be aired and then royally torn apart or praised. If you stalk the Internet and hide in such social networks as Facebook, then why not join the group page? It's easy to do. Just type Waffle On Podcast in the search bar, find the page, and join. This has been a Waffle On production. Copyright Simon Mettings and Mark C. Kelly. We're seeing you.